You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to be talking about the Museum of the Palestinian People in Washington, D.C. And we're very fortunate to have with us Anna Michelle, in charge of the social media and advertising for this new museum. We'll learn a little bit about her and how she got interested in the Palestinian issue. She's not Palestinian. She's an American citizen and uh, has traveled to Palestine. In fact, I met Anna Michelle last year on a Holy Land Trust adventure. It was called Iktashef Experience, and Iktashef means discover in Arabic. And so I've corresponded with Michelle on and off. She's done some projects, and we just recently heard about this museum that's being started and developed in the Washington, D.C. area, and we need a little more truth in the Washington, D.C., and a little more publicity for the Palestinians. Sadly, it's still kind of a secret with most Americans, particularly our Christian Zionist friends that have been so glossed over with all this Zionized Christianity that seems to be rampant throughout the U.S. Welcome, Anna Michelle, uh, to, yeah. to the program, and why don't you give us just a little background on how you got interested in this issue, and talk a little bit about the museum and what you're doing with it, and what you see that the role of this museum will be playing to educate people. Absolutely. Yeah, so I um, went to the West Bank last year with Tom, as he mentioned, in 2017, and that was a trip I decided to take on my own as a discovery trip. The name of the program we were on, like you said, is Discover. So um, I had uh, been learning about the Middle East conflict in the previous year through a global affairs class at my university, which was taught by a Lebanese professor. So I got to get uh, an insight for the very first time, I think, of um, an Arab perspective from the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I really had very uneducated, of course, like most Americans, about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Even in college, as a Middle East studies concentration, I still had not heard in any of my classes about a breakdown of really what had happened, what, what the story was. I would see the name Palestinian in the news, but I had no context really at all to place anything I was reading. So I just kept scrolling uh, most of the time. But about the time of that class I took in, in the fall of 2016, I learned for the first time about that. Then I read a book following that about Sami Awad, um, his work with his organization Holy Land Trust in Bethlehem, and his peacemaking work, um, and found out about the program to learn on the ground with activists to hear a Palestinian perspective. So through that process, being in the West Bank last summer, I came back and did not intend to do any activism work, but compelled by my experiences and the friendships I've made there, I couldn't help but 
be involved in advocacy, at least among my own community. And so in the last year, I've been doing that just because of uh, motivated by my experiences and my convictions um, for justice and having been entrusted with people's stories, I couldn't help but make some noise and I just try to share truthfully with what I, what I shared. In fact, to go on the trip, I had crowdfunded to go on that summer trip and a lot of people in my community who also had no contact with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict were drawn by my description saying, I don't know anything about this and most of us don't, but I, I promise you if I go, I'll come back and I'll tell you everything I've learned. And so this is not just for me, but this is for everyone. As a, as a gift to people who donated, I ended up printing out photos that I'd taken. I'm a photographer, and I attached stories with them, with quotes from several of my, my dear friends that I met there or activists and educators that we met with so that they could understand as well a little bit about what I, what I experienced. So, again, yeah, the last year didn't intend to be doing this, but on the side couldn't help but tell the stories of what I'd seen as a witness. And happened to, this past June, attend an event in D.C., about Palestine, and I met Rashada Nasser, so he is the part of the Nasser family, um, who is also famous in Bethlehem and in the international community for their peacemaking work, especially through their family farm called Tents of Nations. Tom and I both visited there while we were there and learned how they are uh, resisting peacefully uh, the occupation, but in a really beautiful way, a creative way. They host internationals on their farm and they resist settler incursions or IDF demolitions by having an international presence on their property who are helping with planting and harvesting olive trees and grape leaves, this cultural, beautiful parts of Palestinian history and heritage. The Tent of Nations, I think that was my favorite place that I went because I saw people who were saying the, the truth, they're saying what everybody else is saying, but they were like, you know what, we've rejected we're not gonna um, we're not gonna sit back and just accept it, but we're not gonna fight violently, and we're not going to make ourselves victims. So we've run out of all the options that most people, in their humanity, you know, and rightfully so, but most people come to these conclusions, and instead we're gonna say we're gonna make that uh, the oppression that we feel be the fuel for more creativity. And so they're like, you know what, we have issues with uh, electricity because they cut off the supply. We're going to be a green energy uh, farm, so we're going to you know, harvest solar energy. And I thought that's incredible. If you look at any resilient people, you know, figures in history that we admire, they came out of a moment of great tension and oppression, and were creative. And I think that is uh, is a theme that you see often with Palestinians, but I think it's a wonderful thing to amplify as we talk, to, as we educate people, to say, firstly, we are creative, resilient people. Secondly, here's the backstory because we are oppressed and we're up against all odds and this needs to be changed. But look at our potential. Look at who we will be once we have freedom. And I think that's a really great narrative to be spreading. You're so articulate, Anna Michelle. And just to add to this Tent of Nations, it's surrounded by five illegal Israeli settlements that are encroaching. So this makes it even all the more amazing what they're doing there. So, anyways, Bashar al-Assad, he comes from that uh, family, and he is the director of the Museum of the Palestinian People. The museum has been in existence since 2014. They uh, have been a traveling exhibit, featuring their exhibits of 
paintings and storytelling testimonies at colleges and churches around the country for the last four years. So up until now, they've been mobile until somebody in DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. offered a building for us to have a permanent space in Washington, D.C. So in fact, um, to give a little backstory about the museum, Bashada had come to Washington, D.C. for the very first time prior to 2014. And when he saw all of the museums, the memorials, what he saw was stories being told about people's heritage, about their experiences, their countries, their wars, their heroes. And what he saw was that his own story was not being told anywhere. Everybody had a space to tell about their people and their history, but not Palestinians. And so that is why he created the um, traveling exhibits in 2014. And ever since then, his aim has been to have a permanent establishment here. As of the beginning of 2018, someone donated this space for us. And since then, we've been working to open the space before the end of the year. So we'll have um, this landmark in Washington, D.C. for everybody to come, whether that's um, Palestinian families bringing their children to show them their history, their textiles, their music, their stories, or whether it's for tourists, people from other cultures or Americans to come and hear a new story, a story they have not discovered yet, that they would fall in love with the Palestinian people and culture and become one with it um, to empathize, but also find their own story as they discover the Palestinian story. That's a little summary. Did that answer your question, Tom? Thank you so much, Anne Michelle. That's a great story. And I just was looking at your uh, crowdfunding page. It's a pretty good start here, over $59,000. And yeah. uh, anybody that hears this will have a link if they would care to uh, donate to the museum. And yeah. Again, we are so pleased that you have become an activist, and I think you can't help but want to do things, and so thank you so much. What kind of ideas and exhibits are going to be in this museum? Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So as part of our museum as of now, and actually for the last four years, we have a resident artist. His name is Ahmed Hamidat. And he's from the Haitian refugee camp. He's been here for a while, and he has painted incredible paintings, very thought-provoking, modern, uh, interpretive paintings, and sculpture exhibits. The first exhibit is called uh, Imagining the Future of Palestine. And it's, a, it's meant to be a hopeful exhibit, uh, an idea of what could Palestine be? What could it be if it weren't an occupied people, if we had autonomy? and freedom of expression and creativity and development of their own infrastructure. So we're looking at, at questions like, you know, what could the agricultural sector be? What would you envision that to be in the best possible scenario? Um, what about the Palestinian administration? Uh, what about the economic sector? What kind of exports would we be having? Just, just helping us to have some, to dream, to have hope, not to be unrealistic or to deny at all, but to cast a picture uh, of hope that we can work towards and imagine together. And so there's actually a survey that Tom can also leave a link to. We have a survey out there 
we've been asking the Palestinian community and, and everybody, it's open to everyone to share their ideas that will, in fact, inform our artists' paintings. So he's been taking all the results of the survey, people's dreams, their ideas, their thoughts, and feedback for each one of those uh, detailed questions about what the future of Palestine could look like. And he's going to make 10 paintings based on those answers and just casting a, a hopeful picture. So that's going to be our first exhibit. In the future, though, we've talked with uh, our programming team of the museum about some ideas that we have. And so there's a woman on our board who is the Smithsonian, and she has helped to curate, working with our programming team, some ideas of exhibits. So we would love for it to be a place of discovery, a place of imagination, a place of hospitality. And so how uh, our museum space can represent the spirit of Palestinians. We can show textiles, which are very important to the Palestinian culture, instruments and the music that those instruments make, paintings, sculptures, definitely historical artifacts. We have several series of photographs from historical Palestine that we've been granted from the State Department. So we have uh, a variety of things. We hope that it will be really engaging in a three-dimensional way, engaging all the emotions and uh, being a really holistic way for guests to experience Palestine. tell the story of the occupation through this museum? Yes, yeah. So we're definitely um, going to share about the realities on the ground. That's a very integral part of the Palestinian experience undeniable from everybody's story. We definitely are thinking of ways that we can tell these stories in a new way that will draw people in, just trying to replicate the experience essentially that Tom and I have had. Personally, I didn't go to Palestine to be an activist. I went with curiosity and with the love for the culture. And that drew me into empathy and that drew me into activism. And I think that most of us have experienced the deep care that we have for people had to be initiated through relationship. And so in a way, this space is initiating people into a relationship with the Palestinian people. And through that, absolutely educating them about the realities of, our, of their stories and history, but ushering them into a conversation from that perspective. We want to make sure that we don't alienate people by their preconceived notions of Palestinians being either victims or aggressors, but instead as humans. And so our mission is a humanizing effort to, to bring people into a conversation to see them as Palestinians with their shared humanity. So I think that's what's really unique about this place. Something that really compels me is that, in essence, I think it's, it's very similar to the experience I had uh, that has uh, changed me profoundly. It's not just a, a cause that I picked up out of uh, pity or, or compassion or because I was a great activist, but because I'm a, I'm a human and uh, I can uh, empathize with the experiences and the stories of the people I've met. Anna Michelle, are you going to be able to counter the Zionist narrative in any way, or how do you propose to do that? Because in Washington, D.C., there's such a strong you know, Zionist influence. Is there anything in the museum that's going to give a different version of that? Yeah. Well, I think for sure the historical education that we'll be providing through this gives evidence to show that what's going on in Palestine and the occupation is not righteous. It's not in line with 
some idea of Zionism, for sure, uh, or, or any religious values for that matter. However, the Palestinian people is not going to take any religious standpoints. That's not their primary objective. They represent Christians, Muslims, and respecting Jewish perspectives as well, while obviously primarily being loyal and faithful to the Palestinian story. So to deny the, the just cause of Zionist occupation, absolutely that will be the story that is told through the museum. To discuss or, or debate uh, religious points or reasoning, I don't think it's something that we will be focusing on, but inherently it's definitely a part of some of the conversations and stories that will be told. Thank you so much, Anna Michelle. That was quite a testimony, and we'll have the link to the museum site and also for the crowdfunding and then the survey. Is yeah. there any last question here? Anybody else? I'd, I'd like to ask one additional question. Sure. Michelle, I've been there one time, and I had experiences that were life-changing. Yeah. Have you had any personal experiences in your trips over there that you would just like to share with people? as though you were part of the museum. I know you're not going to be part of the museum, but have you had experiences that you would like to share with our listeners about why you're so enthused about doing this? Yeah. Well, let me interject here, Chuck, sure. because I think or at least I'll guide Michelle because I think we should talk about the family that you met in one of the refugee camps there in the Bethlehem area. I think it's very interesting and compassionate story of how you were able to uh, help this family. Yeah, so while we were there, this is actually, this had nothing to do with our program. So I had a friend who was interning actually for the organization that I was on the program for, and she had had a personal connection through her mother with the family in the refugee camp, um, the largest one in Bethlehem, the Haitian. And so with her, I went, she asked me to accompany her to a dinner with them, and I had been to the, to the refugee camp in a bus or walking with the tour guide, but I hadn't met any family personally. But I ended up throughout my trip spending several evenings and several days with, um, with that family and my friend. They became like my own family. I mean, it didn't take a whole lot of time to, to feel that way. One, because of the, the generosity and the hospitality of Palestinians, but also just because even through a language barrier, I felt an unusual um, acceptance and warmth and closeness with this family. So. They're a refugee family with three children, and uh, I met this woman and her husband, and they had me over for dinner several times, and of course, even as really, really, really destitutely poor people were incredibly generous, as they always are. I mean, it didn't surprise me that much because I'd already experienced that already, but they brought me in as if I was part of their family. So that connection with them, I think... A couple pictures I have, I remember um, talking with her son, and he was the one who had the most English of the family, just a little bit of vocab, but he was showing me his English workbook from school, and he was reading all these words to me, and he was literally reading off the page, saying all these vocabulary he was learning, and it struck me because at the same time, Tom and I and all the other participants in the program, we had been laboring over Arabic and trying to read it this new language. I mean, we weren't even trying to read it at that point. We were just trying to speak it. 
And I looked at this, like, 10-year-old kid, and I thought, he's doing something that I can't even do as a university-educated 20-year-old American taking other languages. But, I, you know, reading a new alphabet and remembering and learning all this vocabulary, like, I'm so impressed with this kid, you know. And, and it hit me like a sack of potatoes. I had to run to the bathroom and just I started weeping because I knew this kid, he has so much potential. He has so much, he's so intelligent, and yet he's not going to have the same experience as, as the same kind of kid in America or any Western country. His whole life, especially because he's a male, he is going to be running for his life. He is, for sure, already fearing for his life all the time, walking through the refugee camp. As a child, bearing that kind of weight is unbelievable. I've never met a child who had to live in that reality and whose future I already saw playing out. And I thought, it's not just unfair, it's just unreal to imagine this. I don't know, it's, it's a little bit hard to explain, I think, for people who haven't experienced that, why that was so impactful for me. But I guess being around a lot of kids and uh, teaching Sunday school in my church and stuff, you know, I know how smart kids can really thrive, and I thought, this kid doesn't have a chance to thrive. And that's of no fault of his own. And he has been made out to be a criminal just because of his race, because of his language, because of his gender, and he's going to suffer, and he's not going to be safe. And in fact, I don't even know how long his life is going to last. This is the reality. So being struck by realities like that, having relationships with people, and already feeling as if they were my family, and knowing that my own family is the target all the time, violence and murder, and at the very least, injustice and dehumanization. It's something I'll never, I'll never forget and will be the prime motivator for fighting for justice. It's, it's unjust. It's unjust. That's all I have to say about And just a, a little further uh, comment about this particular, the largest refugee camp, and it's been in existence since after 1948 when uh, people were forced, over 750,000 Palestinians were forced from their homes. And it's uh, about 15,000 people in one square kilometer. And I asked our guide there who went through the camp, how often does the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, come in? And he said about every two to three days they come in. They always come in after midnight in the early morning hours to arrest children for throwing rocks or they even have a thing called administrative detention where they don't even have to make charges but it's part of the Israeli Defense Force policy to basically terrorize the population while we were there in another refugee camp near Bethlehem the young man was shot by the, and killed by the IDF so this reality that Anna Michelle is talking about is very palpable and what young people like this have to go through is something that we can't even wrap our heads around as uh, Americans. Anna Michelle, I want to thank you so much for coming on, telling us about your museum and your genesis to become a, an activist, even though you didn't start out or wanted to be. <laughs> We're so, so glad that you are uh, standing up for uh, truth and justice, and thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, one thought I was going to shoot just to close. I remember 
the dissonance I was feeling once uh, we were on a bus and I thought, this is too much to take in. What am I doing here and who do I think I am to be uh, grappling with questions like this? And I was praying to the Lord and I said, you know, what am I doing here? This isn't my problem. I am a very empathetic person, but at the same time, like, this isn't my fight. I'm not Palestinian. I'm not Israeli. I don't know what I'm doing here and why I think I can just up. And I kind of felt like God said, I just made this your problem. You know now. Even before that, I mean, now I know, you know as a Christian, as an American, I have a very definite part in this uh, in this drama, in this story. You know, my people have had a role to play, and so I am a part of the story. But I did feel like the Lord showed me, you know, I brought you here, and I want you to do this. This is right. You know, this is something I care about. This weighs on my heart, and, and this is important for you as well. So that, as an encouragement to people who are entering into this conversation, as you know, follow through, be faithful with that. Um, the, the stories you've heard, they're real people, um, and it's, it's good and it's right to represent them and to fight for them. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you again for this great testimony. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.